from Group M, it's the Mad Tech Podcast. And welcome to the Mad Tech Podcast, where we talk about everything marketing and ad tech related. With me, as a new guest uh, presenter, we have uh, Vanessa Hunt. Hi, Vanessa. How are you going? I'm really well. How are you, Tim? I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm doing really well. Um, you're the younger and better looking version of uh, John Muskelly. <laughs> Some say that, I suppose. And we have a special guest all the way from uh, the Big Apple. Uh, we have John Montgomery, who I believe is the Senior Vice President of uh, Brand Safety for Group M, if I've got that right. Something like that. Yep. Something like that? Yeah. Did I get it good sli- slightly wrong? Good enough. Good enough. I'm, I'm happy for you to... to to correct it, if it's okay. Executive vice president. I'm sorry. Executive <laughs> vice so sorry if I gave you an unofficial promotional demotion. There, I'm not too sure if I've got the. Not, the I'm, I'm not sure either, so it doesn't matter. So, so uh, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your role at uh, at Group M? Yeah, so I started this new role in. Um, so, hi, both of you. Thank you for, for the opportunity <laughs> to be on your your podcast. When uh, when. Miss Kelly said I was going to do this. He said that uh, Whitfield said I have a face for radio, so, <laughs> so that's why that's why they invited me. <laughs> so oh so yeah, but I started this in, in, in September. But in reality, we've been doing uh, brand safety for a long time in uh, in the states, and that's probably because of the huge volume of digital that goes through there. And essentially, what we mean by brand safety is any area of risk in the digital supply chain. Um, that our clients might face. So it would include, it's not just contextual brand safety, although it includes that, but it would include piracy and privacy and ad blocking and even contractual terms and, uh, and, and, and a number of, in fact, any, any risk. Some of those risks are reputational risks like contractual brand safety, but some of them are accounting risks mm. like, um, I think, ad blocking and viewability and, and, and fraud. So some of them are costing our clients money Either through opportunity costs through bad targeting or or uh, or lost exposure through fraud. So that that sounds really interesting. Is it something that you've been doing for a long time, or is it a relatively new role for the company? So the role is brand new, but we've been doing this and calling it. So we we, we invented the role. So we we invented the the category. It's just something that happened as we because we built our our business around a data spine. I guess this all started when we bought twenty four seven and then turned it into the Meg, which turned into which turned into Zaxxis, and our entire business uh, philosophy was built around data. And with all the great things that data brings us in terms of behavioral targeting and. Uh, attribution and more efficiency, um, it brings along complexity and complexity brings risk. So we were just literally trying to mitigate uh, risk. So when the fir- I think the first risk that we faced was the fact that we didn't have the correct terms and conditions with all of our publisher partners mm. that allowed us to collect data. We didn't, uh, our terms didn't allow us to collect data and didn't, and didn't have the right confidentiality terms and we were just simply signing vendor terms. So that was the first risk, gosh, nine years ago that mm. we did and so we centralized all the contracts did all the negotiations and made sure because we were the first ones to use data in the way that we're using it at the moment and we made sure that we did that the next thing that came along was privacy the government wanted to legislate against cookies and they wanted to uh, govern how we collect data from consumers um, so they wanted to make it opt-in before we collected any data from a consumer our business would have looked dramatically different mm. if we hadn't have addressed that uh, we literally designed that little blue icon on the, the ad choices icon. I've seen that icon. Uh, I yeah. like that icon. 1.4 1, 1. million, tri- 1.4 trillion of the buggers go out every month. Oh, really? Yeah. 
And so you get like a clip of the ticket, you get like a century <laughs> icon, on the icon showing? Right. No, I wish we did. Uh, Ogilvy designed that, we wrote the strategy, we went to Washington to present it to John Kerry and John McCain, so we really were engaged in each of these. Really? You were, you were up in Washington presenting this? That would have been a fun day. It was, it, it, it was. It was really intimidating. I'd been in the job for about two months. I'd been, I was fresh off the boat from Holland. And so I was kind of sent off to Washington, which is a very imposing place. Very big, large, mar large marble corridors with these very important senators walking around with these, with two aides chirping in their, in their, um, really? in their ear. And then you, they sit on a, on a kind of a semicircular podium around you. And then you sit about a meter below them. Right. Yeah. And below you, them. Below them. And then you have this microphone stuffed in your face and you, you're only allowed to talk for four minutes and then they switch you off. We were, uh, so I watched them and I, and I noticed that they were all very awkwardly trying to turn the pages without bumping the microphone. So I thought, hey, an iPad would be a really cool thing to use right. and that thing. So I wrote my whole speech on an iPad and I went through it and obviously rehearsed it like mad, presented the whole thing. And when I finished, three enthusiastic senators came down off the podium to me and I thought they were going to congratulate me on some on a story well told and they said wow it's so cool that you're presenting off an iPad so that was that's what I became known for is kind of presenting in Congress off, off an iPad some of the questions that we've had today are really around creativity and I guess the fact that you it's not often that you get someone move mm. from creative into the digital space and then obviously quite heavily into the tech space what made you do that it's interesting, it really was the, I started um, Ogilvy Interactive when I was in South Africa and, and so we're talking about the mid-late 90s and there, there was just something in digital mm. that, uh, that, that sparked off uh, some real interest in me and I started in media so I, I, I sort of was the media director of Ogilvy and Mather but at that time you couldn't go any further in media uh, in, a, in, a, in a media agency if you didn't get out of media and so I had to get into general management to, to move, move up, the, up the ladder um, but I was always interested in media and then digital came along right. and when it was clear it wasn't just going to be a fad like some of our <laughs> creative people told us it was going to be um, uh, you know, that, uh, that interested me and then I heard that there was a uh, there was a kind of interest in creating a, the first media agency digital media agency we had we had interactive agencies, but we'd never had a digital media agency. And we had some extremely smart people who were running um, digital media in, um, in Ogilvy One. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, but they didn't really have management experience. And so what I could contribute was manage, management experience, but there was an enormous amount mm -hmm. for me to learn, which I was really interested in, in terms of the digital media thing. This was really at the beginning when uh, it was growing so fast and mm -hmm. we were hiring anybody with a heartbeat. <laughs> um, and training them on the go because we, the, uh, you know, so I think we grew from 80 people to 160 people in nine months. Oh um, and so we really had to learn and hire on the go. But it was an ex exceptionally mm. exciting time. So it was just something that looked like the future. And, that makes sense. And it was. It is. And, it was, and it's still, still growing. <laughs> That's yeah. a good horse. And if um, it, it, your job at the moment as uh, in, in brand safety for Group M. Uh, at the executive level, does that keep you busy? Are you are you home a lot, or are you mm. traveling a little bit? What's it look like for you? Yeah, so, so uh, I think it's by its very nature a, a, tra a traveling business. I don't want to say that we've cracked this in the U.S. It's just that we started it there, and we've mm. got a very established practice. Uh, my colleague Joe Barone uh, and I kind of really, really started this thing, and he's he's there and he's continuing to do it. 
and I wanted to make sure that we're harmonizing it around the world. So uh, our, particularly our international clients who were saying, this is cool that you're doing this in the States, but what, what about the rest of the world? And particularly what about the East? What about um, the less developed mm. parts of the East? And I'm not talking about Australia now. I think that you're doing, you're sort of probably in the most advanced 20, we should get into this actually, you're in the most advanced 20% in terms of brand safety already, but, but places like China and Southeast Asia uh, where our clients, where the growth is extraordinary, 16, 18% in digital, digital is now already bigger than analog media in, 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 in China, yet we have no measurements in place, and well, so we really needed to crack those Well, d- digging into that, I mean, I, I suppose the listeners are probably going, yeah, yeah, of course, I mean, yeah, Australia is great because hopefully a lot of listeners are here in Australia, but, <laughs> but why do you see Australia as being in that top 20% and, and for the greater Asia, greater APAC, what do they need to do? What do they need to crack in order for being great? Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, so Australia is a, a lot more like mm, Canada, except the Can- Canadians are more polite. No, actually, I think it's an asset. Um, but but the, uh, um, it, it's sort of a similar-ish size. It's also sort of bi-coastal um, and, mm. and similar level of sophistication. Uh, and, and I just think that you've always been... Um, uh, more sophisticated in Asia mm. than most of the other Asian markets in terms of the emerging market. Maybe it's the English influence or the colonial influence or whatever it is. Um, and, and so you've just been more advanced. And I think uh, between Miskelly and, and, and you guys, um, you've taken the, the brand safety thing and seen it as a business opportunity um, and, uh, and run with it. So when I think when you heard about viewability, you saw, wow, this is something we can do for mm. our clients. And, and an opportunity for us to position Group M as leaders. And, and so, you know, you, you, you know what you've done. So I think it's a combination of Australia has always been a more advanced advertising market than the emerging markets in, 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 in Asia. But I think the team here has kind of recognized the opportunity mm. and, uh, and taken it forward, probably more of the latter than the former. Mm. I was just wondering, um, when you think of brand safety, and I thought of brand safety, until you came, I just thought of brand safety as being a contextual. I mean, the ad is on mm. a safe side or on an unsafe side. But yeah. you've really opened my eyes to being a lot more than just that in terms of it's in a demographic audience, whether it's guaranteed viewable, whether it's uh, fraud-free, and whether it's on, on, on a website which is, which is going to have... Guaranteed outcomes of a of a, of a viewability nature. So you, you've got nine boxes, I believe, where you put brand safety. You're not going to ask me to, m- to number them. No, I'm not going to ask you to number them. All. But <laughs> it's a very more a much more sophisticated way of thinking about brand yeah. safety than than mm. we have. Have you found that education is where I was trying to get to with this? Have you found that education is a hard part of your job of explaining what it is and what you do? Uh, it, it, I a, in fact, it's a nice part of my job, but but it, it's not. Um, it's not something that people would know naturally. So when you go to the UK, for them, brand safety means contextual brand safety. Right. Uh, here we talk about BAV, which is the, the category name for, you know, um, uh, uh, for the overall brand safety. We just had to try... So I'm trying to harmonize the, the, the name under all forms of, of, of digital risk called brand safety. And then contextual brand safety is, you know, what we talked about before, but you've got ad blocking and then you've got viewability mm. and in-demo and... Terms mm. and conditions and all those other things. That for, we had to find a collective noun for it, for, for, because it, you know this isn't this isn't in a textbook anywhere, and uh, and it seems to be resonating. I like brand safety because it's benefit driven. We mm. talked about it quite a lot, by the way. I mm. mean, uh, uh, and so it's it's benefit driven, and there's a real benefit to our clients specifically because mm. what we do is we serve brands, and brands are the most 
cherished valuable things that clients mm. have so if we can help keep them keep them safe. Did I tell you the story about Copenhagen? Uh, I was in Copenhagen and doing the talk to uh, to them uh, and um, they asked me if it would be okay for the, if they introduced me in Danish and then we could switch to English. Mm. But it, as a courtesy, they gave me a copy of the speech which had run through Google Translate. Mm. And uh, they introduced me as the head of brand safety. But in, in Danish, brand is also brunt, mm. which means fire. So the first few words were, I'd like to introduce you to the chief of fire safety. The fire safety <laughs> officer. <laughs> That's right. Which Please was, evacuate the building now. <laughs> Do not well, the it was also quite... Quite well, soon in after February the ninth. And talking about putting out fires, what are the types of things, uh, John, that keep you up at night as a brand safety officer, as a fire safety officer? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting fire. It's interesting. I think one of them happened today. Um, you know, suddenly um, there is a, I think, an irresponsible journalist who's been trolling around terrorist sites, and um, and then we'll aim an ad for one of our clients uh, to the journalist, but because he's trolling mm. a terrorist site, mm. the ad appears next to the terrorist site. It would never have appeared next to the terrorist site yeah. if the journalist wasn't trolling. So it's starting to feel like entrapment, mm. uh, this, this intense scrutiny that we're under. And to be it's perfectly clear, it wasn't on a terrorist correct. site, it was on a technology platform. Right. Yeah. Besides within a feed so it's actually it had nothing to do with the actual terrorist content whatsoever yeah. okay well let's yeah. dig into this just a little bit more do you feel that those types of issues by the media can get blown a little bit out of proportion no i, I think what's happening in fact there's a, i think there's a socio problem with this too because it's giving much more attention to those inappropriate sites than they would have had if it wasn't for right, the course. media attention and the amount of cookies that have been dropped on them and probably the monetization of those right. uh, of, of those sites but this would be and, and I think that this is the this is the ongoing um, uh, conflict between the press and Google because Google and Facebook and Twitter are taking a lot of money out of the press and the press is saying no this is wrong we've got to show them up for being the unsafe brand environments that they are and so there's this kind of conflict that's being played out publicly um, and uh, and everything has been watched so there's a gotcha moment and this would be an interesting thing to watch if it wasn't for the fact that our clients are in the middle. Mm. And it's a very, very dangerous space for our clients to mm. be. Mm. And this has all been exacerbated by the stupefying level of content that gets uploaded every day to mm. YouTube, 350 um, hours of video uploaded every minute, mm. a billion hours of video viewed every day. Um, that kind of amazing volume with our automated buying. So I think that there are a trillion impressions bid for every day around the world mm. that's the kind of automated thing so it, th there's likely to be a few bad impressions that slip through but then if you add to that the scrutiny from the press mm. uh, it makes it very very dangerous because if something does slip through it's likely to be caught and then exposed in the um, in the media and obviously sensationalized too um, yeah time, and, uh, and absolutely so that keeps me awake because it's something that's very, very hard to control. Mm. I guess part of your trip down here was really about changing the conversation and changing the conversation with our clients and changing mm. the conversation with our publishers to make sure that we're talking about different metrics um, and really thinking about quality um, mm. in comparison to, to you know efficiency or cost efficiency. Um, how have you found Australia in the, in in that in that respect and, and how receptive mm. have people have been to changing that conversation? Yeah. So so what we've been trying to do is. Uh, I think part of the problem around brand safety has been the relentless drive to uh, make costs lower. 
And if you think about procurement, the only tool procurement have got, because they don't understand our business that well, the only tool that they've got is a CPM. It's a, it's, a, it's a great thing, right? Right. Um, so what, for them, CPM is a, is a ratio between impressions and cost. And, saying, mm. and of course, marketing expenses are one of the biggest expenses that any corporation have got. So the pro- procurement guys will look at it and say, wow, those CPMs must come down. Mm. And so there are two ways of getting the CPMs to come down. You change your agency because there's an opportunity for the new agency or the same agency if you're kind of rehiring that agency to give you better media rates. Mm. Otherwise, they're not going to get the contract. And then those, and then the media agency has to go to the publishers and force them to lower their rates. Mm. And this becomes a spiral. I, I think it's a very, very negative yeah. spiral, yeah. and it's a, 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 a race to the bottom. And the tool we're using are, is CPMs. And you both know it. If you want to halve the CPMs, you can do it at the stroke of a pencil. Yes. It's just that you buy rubbish. Yeah. You buy non-viewable, dangerous, fraudulent um, stuff, which is bad for brands. It becomes increasingly more and more difficult. So we're trying to change that conversation. We're trying to change the paradigm from a raw CPM mm. uh, into some form of a quality-based metric. So we've come up with a human viewable CPM, um, which means at least that when you're counting impressions, you know that the impression's been seen, because we don't think that an impression that isn't seen has any value. Yes. So an impression that is not seen has no value. Which is quite logical, but yeah. something that I guess we, mm. we haven't really brought up. Yeah, but most people don't intellectualize it that way because when you look at a CPM, mm. half of the things in a CPM aren't viewed or are fraudulent. Mm. So we're saying to clients, won't you, can you, would you recognize that we should start measuring that? And if we start measuring that, um, let's start lifting the value of our inventory by buying more viewable. So we're optimizing to viewable. We're optimizing away from fraud. And what we found in the States is we were able to lift the value, in other words, the human viewable, um, uh, a significant amount. Mm, mm. Um, And our CPMs even went up a little bit, which is Mm. good news for publishers. But the ratio between the CPMs going up and the, and the additional value was 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 in, was in sync. It is so, yeah. so in theory, the human viewable CPM actually goes down. Exactly. Yeah. So just just picking up on something you said a second ago, which was um, th- I think you said 350 uh, hours of content is uploaded to YouTube every minute. minute. Is that the number I yeah. got? Right. It's it's a stupefying number. Um, when I, when I think of that, obviously YouTube is a, a fantastic channel to be able to broadcast. And for people to be able to socially broadcast their own their own content, um, if you th- if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing on YouTube in in the betterment of brand safety mm. uh, for that, what's the one thing that you'd ask Google to change on YouTube to improve brand safety? I think I would ask Google, Facebook, and Twitter to allow third-party measurement in. Uh, it's extremely uncomfortable for us and our clients. By the way, every single one of our client conversations has been. Why don't Google, Facebook, and Twitter allow third-party measurement in so we can make things more brand safe? Um, and, and so that's the one thing that we're pushing on harder than we possibly can. Any opportunity that I've got when I get in front of a client, I'm saying, let it not just be the agency voice, but the client who is the owner of the budget and, in fact, has more power in the space um, should be asking and demanding that. And mm. I think that Mark Pritchard... Uh, of, of, of PNG and, and Keith Weed of Unilever are starting to get much more aggressive uh, around this, which is a good thing, because I think we're using this situation, um, this unfortunate situation where brands are getting caught in the front pages of newspapers, but we're using that situation as, a, as an example of why we need to be more brand safe. And the contention is that if we kind of open source brand safety and all try and do a better job of detecting and blocking uh, inappropriate behavior, 
and, and, and ads from appearing near inappropriate um, uh, content, it will be better. And you know what? Even if it's not, at least we've tried everything that we can possibly do. That makes sense. As well. I, I, I fervently believe we can make it better because since February the 9th, when the, the, the front page in the Times hit, uh, so the big, big brands fund terror. That was uh, title, that's right. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's and then the right. total amount of funding that we actually went into the big brands. It we, wasn't. We think it was like fifty pounds. <laughs> so somewhere between fifty and hundred. It's a very small amount for a very big sensational headline, right? It, it is. Yes, and unless mm. they're operating on an extremely tight budget, I don't yeah. think that we're funding terror any, in any meaningful way. But but the the what, what's happened since then is that we've been sitting down with Google and we're saying how can we improve what you've already got? Mm. And since February, which was a two short months ago, we've already made it much, much better. Right. Um, by just talking about it, you know, they've lifted the um, the monetization floor from zero down to uh, up to ten thousand impressions. Right. So only a site with ten thousand views can get monetized. That would have cut out the long tail. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and that would have avoided. I understand forty of the forty-two sites that were called out in the London Times article would have been caught out. Been caught out. Yeah. But the filtering is better. They are starting to allow um, outside quality scoring companies in, and so already just by talking about it, we've lifted the quality. Mm. I, I think that if we use Moat, Double Verify, Integral, Graveshot, all of our partners together with Google, together with Facebook, to open source this. Uh, brand safety thing, we can make it a lot better, but they're just not letting our tags in there. And, and the, the tags you're talking about are not only the, the analytics tags that measure, but also the ones that allow for blocking. Correct. As well. I think that's the key to Correct. It's the, brand, it's the brand safety tag, which literally accompanies our ad. It reads the metadata behind the content, it reads the URL, it reads inbound and outbound links, it even, it even reads the, the context of the ad. Yeah. And all those things together will give you an extremely good idea yeah. of whether that's appropriate or inappropriate. And at least at that stage, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Twitters have divested themselves from being the owner of the brand safety issues yeah. to the technologies to help out and lean in. Well, I'm going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because that's about all the time we've got today. I want to hear a travel tip. A travel tip? Yeah. What's your one travel tip, Don? You, you travel, what are we at, 25 countries or something ridiculous? <laughs> my, my travel tip is never to stand at a baggage travelator. Um, so I, no matter how long I'm gone for, I will only have a carry-on suitcase. Same. And so um, I will pack everything away. It does mean a bit of laundry, um, but uh, I, I found the right ratio of... Uh, suits, suits, to, suits jackets, to shirts, to shirts, jackets, to yeah. underwear, to yeah. handkerchiefs. It's sho <laughs> shoes is the hard one, isn't it? It, it is, yeah, because yeah. you have to have a pair of running shoes running, or walking yeah. shoes. And Imagine then. being us, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and then another suitcase for the shoes. Exactly. Right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, look, I, I hear you on that one. I'm a, I'm a big believer on that, and that's, yeah. that's, that makes perfect sense. And look, and thank you all for uh, tuning in to the uh, the Mad Tech podcast. Uh, please join us again next time. Thank you very much.